Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are talking about formal methods for cryptocurrency blockchain distributed ledger applications. Um, so, uh, and I want to talk a little bit today. I've been focusing on Tezos because, well, there's so, so very many <laughs> cryptocurrencies out there, and no doubt they don't all have amazingly original new ideas or anything. Um, but, uh, you know, one can, one can only manage to, to study or learn something about a small number of them if you're just an armchair enthusiast like myself. So anyway, Tezos, uh, <clears throat> we're talking about Tezos and it, uh, it has a lot of pretty, um, impressive connections to the world of functional programming, um, verification, uh, this kind of stuff. And so I've been learning more about that and I want to tell you a little bit more about what I've been finding out for this. Um, uh, I'd also like to throw in a um, request. If you enjoy the podcast, would you please consider giving me a teeny tiny donation? Like 5 or $10 would be awesome. Um, just to cover my podcast hosting fees. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I asked for this like about a year ago and people did that and covered my podcast hosting fees for a while. It's like $12 a month. It's not like, and I can't afford it, but I do appreciate it. If you guys wouldn't mind chipping in just a tiny bit to cover that for me. Um, thank you very much. I'm going to put a link in the show notes uh, for how you can go and do that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice thing uh, for me. It makes me feel appreciated. So I appreciate you if you um, could spare the time and the dime to do that. Thank you. Um, anyway, so <clears throat> talking about Tezos, and I'm, I read a paper, um, I'm reading a paper right now uh, about a, a, a project called, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure how that's supposed to be pronounced. It looks like Michokok, like M-I-C-H-O-C-O-Q, Michokok, and it is, so maybe it's supposed to be, I, I really have no idea what, what it's, the name is coming from, um, <clears throat> but it's a pretty awesomely cool project. So at least as covered in this 2019 paper, you know, now three years is a long time in the world of cryptocurrency. And th these guys jumped right in. There's a 2019 paper. The abstract of the paper points out that Tezos started in 2018. So way to go, researchers, for being right on that. I'm, I'm impressed as a researcher. I'm <laughs> definitely not a right on um, most anything. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, here I'm reading the paper now. It's like three years later. So anyway, this Micho Koch system um, is a formalization in Koch. Like they've given a formal description in the Koch Interactive Theorem Prover. And if you wanted to hear more about that, go dig back in the um, previous episodes for uh, when we talked about that uh, Koch Theorem Prover and other interactive theorem provers a bit. And so they've given a formal description within Koch of um, the Mickelson smart contract language for Tezos. And the paper, this 2019 paper, which I'll put a link in the show notes to as well, uh, is very nice because it gives the reader a gentle introduction to at least Tezos smart contracts. And as I'm learning, giving a gentle introduction to an entire blockchain technology, like all the bits and pieces, is a pretty large project, right? Because you have you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into one of these. But just focusing, I mean, <clears throat> as a programming language person, I'm... I'm definitely most interested in you know how the what the smart contract language looks like, and and this paper talks about. Um, so it gives a general introduction to Mickelson, and 
Um, we can talk a little bit about that. And it also describes some efforts. So as I said, they have a formal description um, within Calk of the Mickelson, uh, the typed Mickelson language, and they also have an interpreter uh, for Mickelson smart contracts. The interpreter, you know, Mickelson includes like crypt cryptographic um, primitives and things like that that they say they just, just had to axiomatize. I mean, I, I definitely cannot fault them for that. I mean, some of these things would be a humongous endeavor to get, you know, getting like verified cryptographic uh, primitives in, in a theorem prover is a, you know, big deal. So it's, it's, it's totally fine to me. And it lets them, that they didn't do that. And it lets them focus on what they're really interested in, which is, was uh, verifying uh, properties of smart contracts. And so they give, um, they have like a little toy example that they do. And they also do, um, a multi-sig, they call it multi-sig, so it's like um, if a bunch of participants want to uh, have coordinated action where a certain number of them above some particular threshold want to, uh, you know, say to have some action carried out, then that many uh, of the, the people registered with the smart contract have to vote that they want this to happen. And the smart contracts, and you know, responsible for uh, tallying up who supports whatever action, and then if that enough people support it, then the action is supposed to be carried out. Um, that's just an example, and they give an example. You know, they spec give a specification of this multi-sig contract, and they have proved it in Calk. They don't really go through the details of that. They ha happily for me, they mostly spend their time just sort of talking about the basics of how they of telling the reader who doesn't necessarily know what the type to Mickelson language is. And this is really, I'd like to talk about that for a minute. Um, it's really a pretty cool, interesting language design, definitely. Um, it's a stack-based language, as I think I mentioned maybe last time. And But it's typed, and the types for the operations tell you how the stack is modified by the operations. I've never seen this before. The paper made it sort of sound like, and you know, that this is maybe some technology uh, pulled out of the PL literature somewhere. I, I, I don't know. It'd be nice to know where, where else one could see that. But it's pretty cool. So if you know, if you want to do like an add, I mean, I, I think this is the, the operation is probably roughly like this. The type for something like add. Let's say we're adding integers, and I think they said, you know, that Tezos uses unbounded integers to avoid weird overflow stuff. And this is, you know, definitely great. I think a great decision. So add is something like the type of add is like. If I got a stack that has an int, an int, and then there's some more stuff, then after executing the operation, I'll just have an int and the same stuff. So the type is like, they write colon for like stack separator. Um, so it'd be like, uh, you know, int colon int colon s, where it's like, or I think they actually use like a tick s for like a stack, uh, a variable representing the whole rest of the stack. So int colon int colon tick s, arrow, int, tick, s. Sorry, int, colon, tick, s. This is pretty nice. I've never seen that before, and I, I thought that was pretty cool. It makes for some really, I think, elegant ways to describe, you know, the behavior of these functions. You know, when I first was reading about Tezos, it was being billed as the, like, Mickelson was a pure functional language, and I think it actually makes me scratch my head and, like, go back to this question that I personally have, have asked myself several times, you know, the times in the past, what, what do we mean by functional programming? And even you could say, what do we mean by pure functional programming? In this case, the um, 
the purity you could say is that all the effects are ex are explicit in the type for the function. So these functions have effects. They modify a stack, which is sort of like this global implicit thing. I'm oh, sorry. Let me be careful. It's sort of like a global. It's sort of implicit. It's um, you don't explicitly take in the stack, um, but it's not. It's the behavior of code on the stack is explicit in the types. So um, you know. So when we have an add operation, you know, I don't know, one school of thought might have viewed that as imperative, like we modify a stack. The stack is global, and the type tells you exactly what is happening. Um, if you call it add, and the stack was the same, if you call it add twice, and, and in each case the stack was the same, you'd be guaranteed to get the same output. So in that sense, it's a pure functional. Um, anyhow, so... And the embedding in Conk is interesting because they embed, they say actually they follow the OCaml implementation, which, you know, modern day functional programming languages have a lot of pretty advanced typing features. And OCaml and Haskell both have on the support for these generalized algebraic data types, which we talked about some million years ago in some other episode. And uh, so you could dig that up if you want to find it somewhere. Um, or if I'm really on top of it, I'll put it in the show notes, but I doubt it'll be that on top of it. Uh, so... Yeah, so in Calc, though, we just use an index data type. So basically, the syntax trees for Mickelson smart contracts and, you know, embedded within Calc, the syntax trees, the type of a syntax tree tells you its, oper its behavior on the stack, like it's what it does to the stack abstractly. You know, it's like it basically embeds the Mickelson typing, a stack typing, um, as indices to the, the data type for syntax trees. So it'll say like, like an add operation, you know, would have type, you know, I'm a Mickelson, you know, like Mickelson code or whatever it's called, like code, but it would say code with two indices. One is, you know, um, int colon int colon s and the other is int colon s. And so, and so add would be polymorphic. It would work for any stack. So you have like adds type would be something like, you know, for all s, int colon int colon s is the first index, and int colon s is the second index. Um, so that's that's pretty elegant and fun. I mean, if, in other words, I mean, for me, it was like, I really like the stack typing thing, and then, whoa, I get to see it again in the caulk embedding, and it's just so natural, right? I'm definitely, definitely loving that. Um, they uh, This paper uh, talked about, on introducing Micho Caulk, talked also about their aspirations to... Um, extract their interpreter to OCaml and swap it in to the code for nodes, which apparently is written in OCaml. So OCaml is the implementation language for Tezos nodes and clients and stuff. So like those like command line tools or something um, where you can do stuff, interact with the Tezos network. And apparently this stuff's all written in OCaml. And so they the paper proposes like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we could swap out the OCaml interpreter, which, you know, it's written OCaml. It's not like it's written in some dirty, you know, language that's full of, you know, opportunities for shooting yourself in the foot. But they could say, like, hey, we could extract right from Cockworth things we've proved. Um, and in this paper, they didn't really say they'd proved anything about the interpreter itself, I don't suppose. I'm not sure. I mean, they must, well, I guess they have type preservation. That's kind of baked in. But then apparently if you wrote this in OCaml using GADTs, you'd also get preservation of the stack types. Like, as you execute, uh, uh, um, Mickelson program, you know, the 
an interpreter in OCaml and an interpreter in Caulk are both going to have to make sure that they preserve the, um, the stack type so as they run a program. So, um, yeah. So I'm not quite sure. I mean, definitely one could imagine benefits of extracting their Caulk interpreter. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what they were hoping they would be able to to get to claim there. Um, but but even if they weren't specific about that, they, one could certainly imagine you know pretty awesome use case for that. Um, let's see. I feel like there was something else I wanted to mention about their paper. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm, it's escaping me at the moment. Um, yeah. So anyway, that was uh, uh, a little look, and the paper is really nice for getting a little look at Mickelson. And um, I think one thing I found myself thinking as I looked at it, their example needed to update some maps. And apparently map is some kind of basic type in Mickelson, which makes loads of great sense. But from but what was interesting to me was they had to prove state, like they wanted to say, oh, you know, when a person votes, like in this multi-sig protocol, then the starting, you know, the, the after they vote, the map is just the same as it was before, like a map that tells you, um, you know, who's voted or something like this. The map's the same, except that now the guy who voted, you know, his count is up or whatever. I forget exactly how they set this up. But the point is that the smart contract modifies a map, which is presumably a very common operation for a smart contract to do. But interestingly to me, it's kind of like that, you know, the map comes in and it's like a pure functional map or something. And so, but you still have to, in the end, sort of reason about, oh, you know, they, their specification they gave explicitly said um, the person whose uh, value was supposed to change, their, that, that value did change in the map and none of the other values changed in the map. And this is annoying. And I think they even commented that they, a lot of the reasoning had to do with reasoning about the, what was happening with the map. This is, I think, a little lame because it might be nicer to have the smart contract language just say like, well... Um, you get some initial states of the map, and then instead of actually op or operating on the map, you could emit some instructions. I mean, these, like Mickelson smart contracts, if you want to do anything like send money to people, or if you want to invoke another smart contract, you don't do that right from your code. Your code sort of batches up requests for the Mickelson you know, runtime to carry things, those things out for you. So I found myself thinking, wouldn't it be nice if you could just batch up the map operations as well. Because then for reasoning, you don't have to talk about kind of like, oh, the map is the same, except we changed this one value. You just say, my code produced a request to update the map. Right? Just the same way as saying, like, my code produced a request to send this money to this user. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That just struck me, no doubt. There's So that would mean, like, your starting contract, you'd have a, a set... You'd, you'd be expecting, like, I just get the initial... I have basically, like, a read-only map. I can't actually update it at all, not even pure functionally. But at the end, I spit out my requests to the system for updates that I want it to make. So, anyhow, just something that struck me looking at this. All right, um, I hope you're well wherever you are. And thanks again, as always, for listening. Thanks for considering giving me teeny tiny bits of money. And I'll put a link for that in the show notes. And until um, next time.